Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, and I'm a beggar. My name is Brad. I found the bread of life, Yeshua the Messiah, and I hope to inform others where they may find this bread to the satisfaction of their souls. This episode, Pride and Humility. Shout out to metalcore musicians August Burns Red for the title to this episode. These guys have been around for 20 years now. Doesn't seem like it's been that long. They're straight out of the heart of Amish country, yo. That's right, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I wonder how many barn raisings these guys have played. Or maybe they did barn burnings. Huh. I don't know. The band name has no real significance, BTW. They get asked often, what does a band name mean? Why did you call yourselves that? Why do you guys call yourselves August Burns Red? And at one point after being asked that question, former vocalist John Hershey said it was because he once dated a woman named August who burned his dog that was named Red. August Burns Red. He just made it up, though, because he was, I think, tired of people asking him, "Why? what's the name of the band mean? It's kind of morbid, though. I hope Red is okay. And no, it was not lost on me that the original vocalist's name is John Hershey from Pennsylvania, home of the Hershey Chocolate Factory, of course. Makes you wonder if they would, like, rain down chocolate kisses on the crowd at the end of their shows back in the day. Also, what are his thoughts on Willy Wonka? I'd like to know that. At any rate, it's not about the music, the mounds, or the Mr. Good Bars, not even the whatchamacallits. It's about the message, pride, and humility. This episode, we will look at chapter 4 of the Apostle Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. This is the fourth in a series from the book of 1 Corinthians. We're doing kind of an overview of this writing. And I'm trying to make each episode a standalone so people can just jump in at any point and not feel like they need to go back to the first episode to catch up. However, when you get time, start at the Nobody's Fool episode and move forward from there to gain a fuller context of this important letter. We will actually start a little bit back in the third chapter today, which flows into the fourth, and to kind of hold some of the context of what Paul is talking about, writing about. So we will begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Paul, or Shaul, is writing here. Let no one fool himself. If someone among you thinks he is wise by this world's standards, let him become foolish so that he may become really wise. For the wisdom of this world is nonsense as far as God is concerned. Inasmuch as the Tanakh says, he traps the wise in their own cleverness. And again, Adonai, Adonai knows that the thoughts of the wise are worthless. So let no one boast about human beings, for all things are yours, whether Shaul or Apollos or Kepha or of the world or life or death or the present or the future. They all belong to you and you belong to, to the Messiah and the Messiah belongs to God. 
So you should regard us as the Messiah's servants, as trustees of God's secret truths. Now, the one thing that is asked of a trustee is that he be found trustworthy. And it matters very little to me how I am evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. I am not aware of anything against me, but this does not make me innocent. The one who is evaluating me is the Lord. So don't pronounce judgment prematurely before the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is now hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of people's hearts, and then each will receive from God whatever praise he deserves. Now, in what I have said here, brothers, I have used myself and Apollos as examples to teach you not to go beyond what the Tanakh says, proudly taking the side of one leader against another. After all, what makes you so special? What do you have that you didn't receive as a gift? And if in fact it was a gift, why do you boast as if it weren't? You are glutted already? You are rich already? You have become kings, even though we are not? Well, I wish you really were kings, so that we might share in the kingship with you. For I think God has been placing us emissaries on display at the tail end of the parade, like men condemned to die in the public arena. We have become a spectacle before the whole universe, angels as well as men. For the Messiah's sake, we are fools, but united with the Messiah, you are wise? We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. Till this very moment, we go hungry and thirsty. We are dregs in rags. We are treated roughly. We wander from place to place. We exhaust ourselves working with our own hands for our living. When we are cursed, we keep on blessing. When we are persecuted, we go on putting up with it. When we are slandered, we continue making our appeal. We are the world's garbage, the scum of the earth. Yes, to this moment. I am not writing you this to make you feel ashamed, but as my dear children to confront you and get you to change. For even if you have 10,000 trainers in connection with the Messiah, you do not have many fathers. For in connection with the Messiah Yeshua, it was I who became your father by means of the good news. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent you Timothy, my beloved and trustworthy child in the Lord. He will remind you of the way of life I follow in union with the Messiah and teach everywhere in every congregation. When I didn't come to visit you, some of you became arrogant, but I am coming to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will take cognizance, not of the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. Which do you prefer? Should I come to you with a stick or with love in a spirit of gentleness?
Paul, or Shaul here, continues to remind the believers in Corinth that those who led them to their faith are simply servants of the Most High, that they are not to be exalted, and that no one should think more highly of themselves based on whom it was that brought them to their faith relationship with Hashem through Yeshua. We're all just folks here. He then talks about evaluation or judgment. This passage is a favorite, actually, of the hyper-grace crowd to take out of context, of course, along with when the master, Yeshua, spoke and said, judge not lest you be judged. And so these get lumped together as quote-unquote evidence of this hyper-grace message. And it builds on a doctrine that we should not address areas of sin in the lives of other believers. And this is not what the scripture tells us in whole, even as we will read in the next chapter. And even further, further in this chapter, we're going to see Paul does some judging of the people in Corinth. Paul talks about how we are uh, later in the fifth chapter of this letter, he talks about how we are to judge within the body of the Messiah. Yeshua talked about judging righteous judgment and to examine ourselves. Remove the beam from your own eye, then help your brother remove the speck from his eye. All right, so let's look at what Paul is saying and to what exactly he is referring in this passage. And my version uses the word evaluate. Um, I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. And I know I know many English translations use the word judge here. Judge is a, is a stronger word, and it's one, you know, we like to throw out. Don't be so judgy. So, all good. What did Paul write here? And it matters very little to me how I am evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. I'm not aware of anything against me, but this does not make me innocent. The one who is evaluating me is the Lord. So don't pronounce judgment prematurely before the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is now hidden in the darkness. He will expose the motives of people's hearts and then each will receive from God whatever praise he deserves. Paul says he doesn't care how the Corinthian believers judge him or evaluate him, or even how any human court judges him. He says, I don't even evaluate or judge myself. Do we think this means Paul does not examine himself for sinful behaviors? Of course not. As, as my good friend from Russia would say, don't be ridiculous. Examining oneself and asking Hashem to examine us, that there be no unclean way within us. This is a vital part of our faith. As a man committed to the ways of Adonai Elohim and the faith of the Jewish people, this is a daily practice which Paul would engage in. 
followed by repentance for any revealed areas, any revealed sin in his life, any trespasses, even for unknown or unwitting transgressions of the Torah, the law of Hashem. We have to remember Christianity is the furtherance of Judaism. It is not the replacement of it. Paul goes on to say, The one who is evaluating or judging me is Adonai, the Lord. So this is one of the favorites. It gets twisted a little bit and people say, See, only God can judge me. I don't have to listen to you or any preacher. It's between me and God. What's going on in my life? Okay. Well, first of all, you are 100% correct. The Most High, El El Yon, will judge us all. May we find favor in his eyes through his servant and son, Yeshua, the Messiah. What Paul is saying in no way absolves us from holding one another accountable to the scriptures. If we love each other, would we not want our brothers and sisters to know when they are transgressing the commands of the Holy One, blessed be he? We want people to tell us if our zipper is down, right? Or if we've got a bat in the cave or parsley stuck in our teeth. We want people to tell us those things so we don't be embarrassed before other people. Shouldn't we want a warning that we are committing adultery against the Most High? Where, where are the bigger consequences? A moment of embarrassment versus eternal implications. I think we see what's the bigger deal here. And yes, I do. And I know I have people in my life who will speak to me, who will call me out, who will hold me accountable, and I am grateful for them. Those are true friends. So if Paul is not in this, in this portion of the letter, if he's not making a sweeping statement here, don't judge me, don't judge anyone, only God can judge. What is he saying? Well, it's all in this same letter. This is the importance of reading the whole letter and keeping things in their proper context. Not hunting and pecking for passages which support a predetermined doctrine. Oh, quick, let me copy-paste that one. Yep, mm -hmm, that's going in my message. Yep, that's all a part of my sermon. That's not what we're supposed to do with this. Paul is speaking to a very specific aspect of where we cannot judge because it is not yet time for that judgment to happen. So, Going right back to chapter 3 in this very same letter where Paul was addressing the cause of some of the division in this assembly related to the personality of the individual who introduced them to, the, to their faith in Hashem through Yeshua. So we're going to jump back to chapter 3, starting at verse 5. After all, what is Apollos? What is Shaul? Only servants through whom you came to trust. Indeed, it was the Lord who brought you to trust through one of us or through another. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So neither the planter nor the waterer is anything. Only God who makes things grow. Planter and waterer are the same. 
However, each will be rewarded according to his work. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Using the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation like a skilled master builder. And another man is building on it. But let each one be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Yeshua, the Messiah. Some will use gold, silver, or precious stones in building on this foundation. While others will use wood, grass, or straw. But each one's work will be shown for what it is. The day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If the work someone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will have to bear the loss. He will still escape with his life, but it will be like escaping through a fire. This is what Paul is talking about. We cannot judge the deeds, the good works, the mitzvot, tzedakah, righteousness of others, their righteous works, whether they be of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, grass, and hay. We can't judge those. We cannot even judge our own works as to what constitutes them the precious, or the flammable. Each one's works will be shown for what it is, the day, that is, the day of final judgment, the day of the Lord, will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. God knows the heart that is behind the works that are done. Only he knows, and that's why we cannot judge even our own works. What is the motivation behind why we do the things we do? Only these things. There is no secret that the heart enfolds that, that is unseen by Adonai. When we see someone serving people, ministering for Hashem in some way, whether it's feeding people, clothing, sheltering, and basically no, not basically. The reality is they are feeding, clothing, and sheltering Yeshua in their work as they do what they're doing for their neighbors. We might have thoughts of how they could do it better, or they really shouldn't be doing it in that way. I mean, I get what they're doing, but that's really just not the way it should be done. We don't get to decide if what they are doing is wood, hay, or grass, or if it is gold, silver, or precious stones. And I do find most often, and I'll speak specifically of myself here, when I feel myself judging the mitzvah and sadaka, the righteous works of others, when I kind of question how they're doing it, why they're doing it, and everything else, the gentle wind of the Holy One, brings quick conviction. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, brings quick conviction. They're doing something. What is it that you're doing? Oh, well, yeah, there's that, I guess, isn't there? They're doing something. Let them do and continue doing and serving. Yes, 
Let me be about my father's business. This is what we, this is to be our attitude, to be about our father's business. So I can either go help those who are serving in some way. I can go put my hands to the plow with them or find a way to serve that I believe to be my area of calling, gifting, or to be a more effective use of resources in serving others. In all that we do in serving Hashem as we follow Yeshua, we do not get to determine whether the works are gold or grass. They will be tested, judged by fire. This is why we're not supposed to be proud of any, any of the works we do. We might feel like, oh my God, and even giving praise to Hashem over it. This happened and this happened and this happened. How wonderful, how awesome it is. God will judge the works, whether they are gold or whether they are grass. And that is what Paul, Shaul, refers to in the early part of chapter 4. He is talking about, when he talks about not judging things, because it's not yet time, he's referring back to that statement, the day, that day will be when those works are tested. Specific, very specific point he's making there. He closes out his thoughts on judging the righteous works of others in verse 5 of chapter 4. So don't pronounce judgment prematurely before the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is now hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of people's hearts, and then each will receive from God whatever praise he deserves. So as to say, we do not work for the approval or evaluation of others, but for God, to whom our lives are abandoned. In the next portion of this letter, Paul breaks out some savage sarcasm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm going, to, I'm going to drop in some of my own interpolation as we go through this portion. And this is, this is for time's sake to not not have to um, circle back completely on this portion of the letter. Now, in what I have said here, brothers, I have used myself and Apollos as examples to teach you not to go beyond what the Tanakh says. Stick to the written scripture, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. These were the only writings canonized as scripture at the time Paul wrote this letter. Do not proudly take the side of one leader against another. And again, that this is judging the works of others. It's saying, well, Paul does these great works, so he is the greater of the leaders. Or Apollos does these great works. It's, it's judging their works, even to the positive side of it, not just the negative, but saying, oh, I'm going to follow this person because of the... You don't know. You don't know if those works are gold, silver, or precious stones, or are they grass, wood, or hay. Carrying on in, uh, into verse 7. After all, what makes you so special? What do you have that you didn't receive as a gift? Everything comes from Hashem. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. We have nothing of our own. He, Paul continues... 
And if in fact it was a gift, why do you boast as if it weren't? You are glutted already. Glutted meaning full or completely satisfied. Smug even. You are glutted already? You are rich already? You have become kings? Even though we are not? We brought you to your faith. This is my interpolation here. We brought you to your faith and somehow you've achieved a status that even we, the ones who led you to your faith, have not achieved. You are kings even though we are not? Well, I wish you really were kings so that we might share the kingship with you. For I think God has been placing us emissaries, apostles, on display at the tail of the parade, like men condemned to die in the public arena. We have become a spectacle before the whole universe, angels as well as men. For the Messiah's sake, we are fools, but united with the Messiah, you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. Till this very moment, we go hungry and thirsty. We are dressed in rags. We are treated roughly. We wander from place to place. We exhaust ourselves working with our own hands for our living. When we are cursed, we keep on blessing. When we are persecuted, we go on putting up with it. When we are slandered, we continue making our appeal. We are the world's garbage, scum of the earth. Yes, to this moment. I'm not writing this to you to make you feel ashamed, but as my dear children, to confront you and get you to change. What you may notice here is that Paul is calling these people out for their pride and arrogance. He is judging them. Not their works of righteousness, but their pride and arrogance, which are sinful. He's letting them know, and he says he's telling them as dear children, do we not see the love in this type of judgment? That's what this is about. He's letting them know they've gone off the path of following the Messiah, and they're getting caught up in some kind of status competition, exalting themselves. Paul is saying, you folks are really missing the point. Look at the lives of me, Apollos, Kepha, and the other emissaries. Look at us even to this point. We aren't being praised by people or hailed as royalty. We are the scum of the earth because we live and preach what the world deems as foolish. They're not seeking man's praise. They're not seeking some exalted high position to be revered by men. That's not the goal. And what Paul is writing in this letter should put nails in the coffin of the prosperity gospel. It really should. All right. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. So, Paul, Paul again asks, so how are you, basically, how are you all of a sudden such a big deal? When we're treated, we're, we're the scum of the earth, and, and now you, our disciples, are suddenly a big deal. That's not how any of this works. 
He's not saying these things for public embarrassment of these people, but so that they will change. They will repent. Teshuva, return to the ways of Hashem. Humble yourselves before Hashem or be humbled by him. This is an assembly Paul planted approximately four years prior to him writing this letter. They are mostly God-fearing Gentile believers in Yeshua the Messiah. There would be some Jewish followers of the Messiah also. But he, he lets them know. He lets them know in this part of the letter, When I didn't come to visit you, some of you became arrogant. But I am coming to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will take cognizance not of the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. Which do you prefer? Should I come to you with a stick or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He informs them. He is aware they have the attitude of, when the cat's away, the mice will play. He's warning them. If the Lord wills, he will be among them soon, and he is going to take into consideration the power of the spirit of Elohim with them. Now, this goes back to chapter 1, when Paul said he did not come in eloquence of speech to them, but in the power of the spirit. He's not going to take the words of these people to account. He wants to see evidence of Adonai working in this assembly. Paul is not from Missouri, but he is saying, Show me, don't tell me. Let me see your works of righteousness, your sadaka, your mitzvah. What are you doing to build the kingdom? And I assure you, Paul was not going there looking for a big church building or structure or some kind of project. He is looking to see how they are allowing God to use them in serving others in humbling themselves and serving, building the kingdom of Hashem. And he even said prior to this, he said that he was, he was sending Timothy. Timothy, who is one of, his, one of his true disciples, and Timothy was going to go before Paul got there to remind them of, hey man, this is how we're supposed to live. These are the things that we're supposed to be doing, being humble, not arrogant, not prideful. And uh, I, I love how he gives them, <laughs> he gives them the option at, at the end of this portion, like how, how he would, how would you like me to return to you, basically? How, how would they like him to come to them? Do you want the rod of correction or do you want a spirit of gentleness and love? I can help you either way. The choice is yours. Ball's in your court, folks. <laughs> I'm going to come swinging the hammer or I'm going to come in the spirit of gentleness and love. So much good stuff in this letter, and I hope that you're being blessed as we go through it, this overview. Please study to show yourself approved of God. Don't just take my word for stuff. Dig in, study, study his word. All this studying and equipping is to prepare us to go into this lost and dying world and offer them the bread of life, Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's go out and give them heaven. And until next time, may the favor, 
the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, found in the eyes of Hashem, be upon you and all your household. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah, Yeshua. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.